Welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. If you're looking for news, tips, and stories about fishing the Great Lakes, you've come to the right place. And now your host, Chris Larson. Hello and welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast. We continue to march through interviews from the 2023 Virtual Great Lakes Fishing Show. Today's interview is with Captain Vince Pierleone from Thrill Seeker Sport Fishing in Alcott, New York. We discuss the seasonalities of Lake Ontario near Alcott, what you can get from the Lotsa Salmon School, and the differences between tournament fishing and charter fishing. How you doing, Vince? Great to see you, Chris. Well, I saw you show up this morning, so you've been at the show basically all day today. Uh, what do you think of the show so far? I tell you, for uh, you know, being shut down for a few years due to COVID, uh, looks like it's bounced back very well. Yeah, there's a lot of excitement in the room. I think people are excited. There's a couple different things going on. We've got some pretty good weather. Um, obviously, today we got some snow, but it's been warm. So I think people are thinking fishing already. You don't have that ice in the lakes yet. So people are already thinking about getting those boats out, even though we're in mid-February. Yeah, when, when conditions allow, uh, people are actually getting on Lake Ontario, too. Our biggest battle this year has been watercolor. There's been so much wind pounding the shoreline of not only Lake Ontario, but Lake Erie. And that's given us a lot of uh, turbidity to deal with. But uh, certainly has been a warm winter. Have you been out yet this year, just, just yourself fishing, doing some fishing? Uh, have not been out. Um, normally I run a semi-steady semi schedule in the Niagara River, but uh, in the winter, the most of the clients want to go later in the week and weekends, and it just hasn't been lining up with the with the storms we've been getting. When you get a, a cold snap and then you get a 60-degree uh, warm spell, and with that comes those 40-mile-an-hour southwest winds, and it, it just hasn't been... Uh, it hasn't been productive to be on the water yet. But we're looking forward to a good early spring on the big lake. And at least when we're on Ontario, we can escape that. You know, because of the depth of the water, it doesn't all, the entire lake doesn't become muddy. But we're certainly expecting a, a good early bite this year. And you're, you're based out of Alcott, New York. Uh, talk to our folks here on the, in the audience about where Alcott is and, and just how that sets up on the lake. So Alcott is to the uh, uh, western end of the lake. It's approximately 18 miles from the Niagara River. And I like to think that it has the benefits of the Niagara flow without uh, too much of the negative, which for people that don't understand how it works, the Niagara River can produce warm water in the spring because Lake Erie is a, is a shallow lake and it absorbs heat and it warms up a lot faster than Lake Ontario. So the Niagara River will flow into Lake Ontario and become a magnet for bait fish and also the uh, the cold water species that will be attracted to that 39, 40, 41 degree water earlier than the rest of the rest of the lake. So it becomes a magnet early and then as the summer goes on uh, sometimes the fish will move off of there because it is so warm but it'll spread out, spread the habitat out but it all season long, that flow attracts bait fish. And that, that flow runs down the coastline to the east from the river before it really spreads out all the way to 30 mile point. So in approximately 30 miles of, of a band of that water that's attracting bait fish all, all season long. So we have you know steady summer fishing as well. So talk to me a little bit about how your season sets up. 
when you get started, kind of what you're targeting early on, and just how the season progresses throughout the year. So first thing, uh, what we call ice out, whether we got ice or not, uh, we're getting going by very early April, and we're we're always expecting to get you know brown trout and lake trout. Uh, they're they're very uh, raring to go in the beginning of the spring. The lake trout are not bothered. One iota of temperature. I mean, we'll catch them in 33, 34 degree water. They're looking for early bait fish. They're eating gobies, and we usually find them. Uh, from 40 to 150 foot of water, and um, they're they're heavily feeding. And then the brown trout are not not too shy to go into shallow water, which is running a lot warmer because it's closer to the bank, and in the plumes from the creeks and the rivers. So they're attracted to that warmer water, for primarily because the bait fish are, and then they their their activity and their metabolism speeds up being in that warmer water, and you end up with a with a, with a steady bite. Uh, Vince is a charter captain out of Alcott, New York, which is, uh, I guess you're just east of Wilson, which is straight north of us. So uh, you're kind of, what would you say, 30 miles, 40 miles uh, northeast of us here in Niagara? Yeah, it's it's about it was about a 35-minute drive. Um, but as far as Lake Ontario goes, it's eight, 18 miles from the mouth of the Niagara, uh, and then it's about five miles east of Wilson. And... When things get going there in May, um, what are you targeting out there? I, I know it's kind of a mixed bag because the whole lake kind of comes to this area to eat. I mean, it's, it's a feeding ground. Uh, tell us about what a day on the lake is like that time of year. So so we start seeing cohos show up in our, in our fishery toward the end of April uh, and an odd king here and there in that in. And what, it, what I feel it is, is they're with those alewives in the winter. So as more and more alewives start making a movement towards the shallows, those fish move in with that bait fish movement. But they also discover that there's warmer water in there. And so their, their metabolism is starting to crank, and more and more of them find it. And then you end up with uh, congregations of pockets of salmon, uh, not just coho, but chinooks. And, and in a typical day in May, can vary day to day, but there's some days where it can be all Chinooks, King Salmon, as they're known, uh, and they rarely go into a shallow water as the uh, as the brown trout will. So they're usually found in, in 40 to 200 foot of water overall, and then they're going to be usually suspended. You know, there is times where they're, they're on the bottom because that's where their food's found or the pressure's been heavy on them, like during a derby. A lot of times they'll push the fish down, but uh, for the most part, they're up and active and, uh, and they're feeding in water that's 40 degrees and, and up because they spent the whole winter in 39 degree water, which is on the bottom of Lake Ontario. So what, what does that look like? How are you targeting them? Um, what does your spread look like that time of year? You're going after kind of a mixed bag type of fishery. So you kind of got to have a feel for the, the species that are present. So we would expect to catch uh, Chinooks on our, on our downriggers and on our dipsies. And depending on the level they're at, we'll run inline, inline boards, we'll run ninja boards with uh, flat lines. Uh, if there's a lot of coho around early, 
and then as the season progresses that may drop to five color seven color eight colors of, of lead core but you'll pick off king salmon with that too because they will especially out away from the boat they will feed up you know higher in the column and that is the warmest water available too in in, uh, in may it's always going to be the top 20 top 30 foot that's the warmest but we're still catching chinooks 40 to 150 down depending on where the where the bait fish are so you may be running like 500 coppers and in long lead core lines you may um again as a charter boat if we're able to stay busy without implementing those things then that's probably what we're going to do because that's a that's a slow road to china there right um if you're catching on downriggers divers and and shorter cores then we're going to emphasize that because Quite frankly, those are deadly tools, but if you're making it harder on yourself and harder on the clients to get the fish in, um, you're just slowing yourself down. Right. You, you want to get out there. You want to create excitement for for your clients and, and get them excited about fishing. And you're reeling in that 500 copper with the big Chinook on it. You're going to be there for a while. Yeah, when it starts getting up to 500, 600, uh, we call it farm equipment. Right. Yep. It's doing the heavy, heavy labor. It's a lot of lot of dragon. The other thing you're doing this weekend is uh, the salmon school here with Lotsa, and that's kind of the big thing about the show. If you haven't been to this show, um, it's really education focused. There's seminars all over the place, and you know Trevor, who owns Fishhawk, who's been here with us this weekend, um, he actually said, "Hey, I'm going to go watch a couple of seminars while you guys are doing the show." There's a lot of just really really good stuff here. If you are trying to get into fishing, trying to learn more got guys like you here and really the the top guys in in fishing in this area are all right here in this spot you're doing seminars you're doing the school uh tell us a little bit about the school so the school uh was a brainchild of uh of Lotsa and and joe yeager the the president of Lotsa, and it got started in a much smaller facility uh in lockport new york and the popularity of it simply outgrew the facility and uh, when they moved here to the convention center, he wanted to keep the school going as part of the show. And it really gives people that are going to travel from from surrounding states and or Canada the ability to come to the salmon school and still be able to come to the show in one location. So it makes it very convenient once they're here. And there is really something for everybody. I mean, there's just as many walleye seminars this year as there is salmon seminars and they've done a fine job growing that and coordinating that but uh, they really really wanted to put uh, a heavy emphasis on education and you know to help the sport maintain and grow and uh, i think they're doing a good job of it so it's basically all day tomorrow what does that look like what does the day look like you kind of give us a rundown of if I'm going to sign up and show up at the door. What's my day going to be like? So, so the, the salmon school is sold out. They do advance. They do advanced uh, ticket sales. It's grown so much now that they do it. They actually do a Friday night social, uh, where the, the there's there's two other speakers besides myself for the all day session tomorrow. Well, we'll actually give a little overview on our seasons, uh, and then we'll touch on some things maybe that are important to us that won't be part of the, the the program tomorrow. And then, you know, get to know some of the attendees that could make it tonight. Tomorrow is the big day. Uh, I think we're getting started around 8 o'clock. 
and we don't finish up till four. There is a lunch break, but again, all, all the all the tickets have been sold for that event. But there are classes going on all through the day tomorrow and Sunday uh, for not just not just uh, trout and salmon, but walleye, like I mentioned. So there there is something for everybody, and there is beginner classes. I know that for a fact. So people that might be intimidated by a lot of the things we've been talking about could get in, uh, get in those beginner classes and start to have an understanding. Well, that all-day school, though, I mean, you got some time there. You've got seven, eight hours to talk to people. You know, how, how in-depth do you get with that? I and mean, what does that look like, the curriculum throughout the day? So we expect this to probably be the most in-depth uh, that there's been yet because there's been probably 14, 15 years of these now. Um, so they are touting it for advanced students. That being said, every year we're prepared for not leaving anybody behind because maybe they're a little bit more limited. So we're able to, to take care of, I think the way they've structured it is uh, there would be time for a few questions after every category we cover. But if someone's really missing the entire message because of something, then they'll be able to be allowed to ask that question. But then again, because of the sheer size of it, uh, we're also going to have a, a, a question and answer short session on Sunday morning in case someone leaves without really what they came for. So, One of the things that you brought up a few questions ago, you said you go back and talk about last year's season. What was last year's season like? And then I also am really curious as to what your notes look like. I mean, what do you what do you track throughout the year, and how do you use that to become a, a better captain? So I do take a lot of notes. Um, my notes, they are helpful for day-to-day -day because the trends change. Uh, so you can't really look at August 20 notes for – the last four years and decide how you're going to attack the fish, how you're going to find them, what you're going to present. You really can't do that because so much can change. The season itself can unfold uh, in, in a different way. You could have a lot warmer water than you had years prior. You could have a lot colder water. You might have a complete flip over of the lake. So you, you have to have your fundamentals down on how to start your day. But they can help if you if you recognize that conditions are similar. Salmon are on, a, uh, uh, the mature salmon are, they have an agenda of, of eat, grow, and spawn. So there are some predictabilities to what they do. And as long as the weather hasn't thrown a wrench and everything, there are some things that we can expect based on the calendar. So that's where the notes can come in. They also come in when I, vi when I visit other locations, which, you know, we fish at least 10 tournaments a year. We're, we're traveling all over the lake. And being that we're not in our home water, the notes you take from a prior year can be beneficial. So, you know, they give you a starting point, and, um, and you, can, you can play off of that. All right, we do have a question coming in. This is on Brown. Uh, it's from Jim Lemon on Facebook. And he says, uh, can brown trout be caught in the muddy water from runoff? And I know... Uh, you talked about that a little bit earlier, and it's something that when you walk around this room and you talk to people who are on the lake all the time, 
they're saying it's a big problem right now. You're seeing a lot of dark water out in the lake right now. So there's so many different degrees of mud. You know, it's it's some of us can look at it and determine if we should even spend any time in it. It's actually beneficial to have color in the water when you're fishing for brown trout because they're not afraid to go into shallow water and actually do a lot of their spring feeding in shallow water. So we, we like colored water. If it's too turbid, it actually, you know, it, it bothers them a little bit, inhibits their breathing, and uh, makes it very hard for them to locate our, our lures. That being said, brown trout are one fish that can be caught in muddy water, and it's just some uh, fundamentals of dirty water fishing. You want to use colors that are a bit more visible in mud. You want to push it as shallow as you can get without hitting bottom because they're going to push it as shallow as they can to see the lures. They will also move outside the mud. Depends on the temperature. If it's, if it's very, very cold water, they may not do that. But if the water temperature isn't much different, though, there's going to be fish on the outside edge where it actually mixes. So that will be colored water, but not super muddy. So that's two ways to attack it. But if you're going to fish in the muddy water, it's noticeably warmer. There's bait fish present. There's most likely brown trout in that water. You're going to want to use loud colors. Unless the sun's out overhead. The sun's overhead, middle of the day. A lot of times metallic colors can still be good. We like gold in that condition. Bright sun, dirty water. Gold is an alternative to running like a loud chartreuse plug. Browns aren't known for liking bright orange, but in that condition, it can be a deadly color for brown trout when you're fishing in that, you know, that, that turbid of water. So the magic happens when you find where it mixes. So you want to look for those edges where the mud mixes with the clear and the fish are going to probably do most of their effective feeding in that water. All right, so that's, that's good stuff. Uh, hopefully that answered your question, Jim. Um, you, you brought up tournaments just a few moments ago. Um, your team, one of the most accomplished teams on Lake Ontario when it comes to tournament fishing. How does tournament fishing, how's that different from what your day-to-day -day charter fishing would be like? You know, that's a really great question because I would say I have a lot, lot of pro teams that do not charter. They actually would have an advantage going into a, a, a King Salmon event because they're only concerned with that one species. It doesn't matter if they catch one or two or three fish pre-fishing. That's all that matters. Where we're taking out our group daily and a, a five or six man crew, they want to bat around. They want action. And, and, and I know this to be a fact because I deal with it all the time. You know, I'll, I'll have discussions with uh, the clients and say, here, this is what's going on. We're getting an odd salmon here and there. We've got, we got a much better trout bite. You know, what do you guys want to do? The first hour, it might be, hey, let's really try for salmon. And then about an hour in, it might be, hey, you know, did you say the trout were biting better? So even though they may give me one answer, I'm expecting that to happen. And, and, and can't blame them. A lot of times, then part of that party is very casual anglers, and they just want to feel the fish fight on the line. So we have to, we have to be aware of that, and that has to really rule the day, you know, keeping those people happy. When we travel out of town, 
So, you know, we'll, a lot of times we'll allocate a day or two before the tournament. Um, oh, we do do a lot of chartering in the tournaments, but we have tournament first clients. They're all at the tournament. So they're, they're perfectly fine with that. It's not about how many we catch or anything like that. Whatever the format of the tournament is, they want to emphasize that in our pre-fishing. So, you know, that helps a lot too, but, but that's the biggest difference. You got to identify what your format is. Uh, in Lake Ontario, there's, there's multi-species formats that, you know, uh, 12 fish formats, um, couple that come to mind, limit you to just two lake trout in your catch. Uh, and then the rest can be all salmon. It could be all brown trout. Uh, then there's king salmon only, or I'm sorry, Pacific salmon only. That could be king or coho only. So you could catch the world record steelhead, and it's not going to make a hill of beans for the tournament. So that you need to scout the water that way. And, uh, you know, that's the biggest difference. Thanks to Vince for joining us. He co-hosted this segment of the show, so we'll hear from Vince on the next five episodes as well. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. For more information on fishing the Great Lakes, visit our blog at fishhawkelectronics.com.